0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He didn't... Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled it.
0: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host Anthony Pagnotta with you guys as always. And today it is time to go back onto the recruiting trail and finally talk about Carolina landing their quarterback for the 2024 class. It had become a concern uh, that it, you know it was possible the Tar Heels could exit this class without getting a quarterback, but, you know, they had to do a little bit of searching. They have finally found their guy in the class, and I got to tell you, probably one of the mo- more interesting pickups that Carolina has had in a while. So we'll talk about that, and, you know, it's sort of an extension of that conversation, but also based on a lot of what Carolina also has in the class, we got to talk about this notion from a lot of Toriel fans that this class not meeting the standards that Mac Brown had set um, is recruiting really slipping? Is it getting back to you know a level that we should be concerned about? We'll talk about all that here on this edition of the podcast. Zach Hubbard is along with me, our recruiting analyst, uh, to talk through all of this. And uh, first of all, Zach, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you like me probably a little bit of relief when you saw the news that the Tar Heels had landed. Three-star quarterback Michael Merdinger out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, you know Carolina had been searching for a while, and finally they they find their guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, I mean, quarterback something that we've been looking at for a while now. So it's a position in which you know we said repeatedly we knew that they needed to have someone there. They needed to pick up somebody or have someone pick them uh, rather, and um, they finally. Found a guy that they wanted to pull the trigger on, and a, a guy that wanted to commit. and, you know, it sort of moved very quickly from there once they decided that uh, Michael Merdinger was who they wanted to select and, you know, he reciprocated and it, you know, coalesced here this weekend,
0: yeah. And look you know the timeline for Merdinger is a pretty interesting one um because, look, to say he is a raw prospect is probably understating it. Um, he's a guy that, learned football by himself. He came over from Israel when he was about eight years old. Um, You know, within a year of living there, uh, somebody basically gave him a football and he used videos of Joe Montana to learn how to throw the football. So he's a self-taught player. Um, He's come up, you know, he's, he's now, of course, been playing for a few years now. So it's not like, He's just completely foreign to football. Um, But, you know, the interesting circumstance for him is at his high school, Cardinal Gibbons High School um, in Florida. He was the backup quarterback this past year to a guy named Dylan Rizg, who is going to be uh, part of the 2023 class that is brought in by Central Florida. Now, the interesting thing about that is that clearly – you see the connection there. Central Florida, that's where Chip Lindsey came from. M- means that Chip Lindsey probably heavily involved in the recruitment of risk to, um, to to the Knights and probably allowed him to get a little bit of an early look at Merdinger. Now, the problem is, is that Merdinger was not the starter you know, did, didn't see a ton of action. He started the first game of their season. I believe it was their first game, or it was still relatively early in the season, a game back in September for them. Um, You know, team won 33 nothing. He looked solid, not great um, in that game. Uh, but, you know, there were some things that it seemed like his coach was really encouraged by judging off of some of the comments that he made to 24-7 in an article that was written Uh, in late April. So this is a guy that, you know, has very little experience. I mean, you're talking about one start Um, last year, you know, he saw action in probably, it was either seven or eight more games. Um, And he threw for 721 yards, had a nine to one touchdown interception ratio. But again, he didn't really see a whole lot of Action, so it's hard to really judge what type of player he is going to be um so really everything starts this year for him um you know the the, the thing is with with this it's an upside pick up Carolina's got to pray that this is a guy that can come in and develop um really you got to hope that the development starts this year um but there are some really encouraging things about him you know first that w- what do you think about the lack of experience? I know a lot of people are going to that. I've seen a lot of comments of people saying, "How are we going after a guy that hasn't even been a full-time um, starter at the high school level?" But you know, I, I I think there's more there. There's a little bit more to this than meets the eye when you just look at the stats.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess just to summarize it, I think it's a gamble. And really, you know, any recruiting decision is, is a gamble to some degree. I mean, you you never know for sure 100% how these guys are going to turn out. But this more than most is a gamble just due to a significant lack of experience. I mean, this would be going into the senior year, this would be his first year starting at the high school level, limited throwing experience at high school. We don't know is he going to camps? Is he going to seven on sevens? Maybe he will this year, but that's sort of, you know, hoping for the best in terms of his senior season to build up a resume, you know, to show that he can play. And then also just, you you have to think when he gets on campus, it's going to take multiple years, probably with the same play caller, Um uh, at best to sort of get him where he needs to be just from a knowledge perspective of knowing what he needs to do from there. Now from watching the snaps that I watched of him, sort of the, the rare highlights that you get um, he looked like he had some natural ability. I do think he was a pretty good thrower of the football um, at different angles. I I think that he was able to, you know, get some good height on the ball when he threw it. Uh, But like you mentioned, was the backup had limited snaps um in the games that they played this past year only through double digit passes twice obviously that first game uh that he or uh, double digit attempts excuse me in two games Mm -hmm. obviously the first game that he started had about a 62 percent passing uh or accuracy um Had about 200-something yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception, so, you know, fine. I would note uh, his high school, Cardinal Gibbons, is playing in sort of an air raid system, so – um, I, I would probably take the yards, the passing yards that he has with a little bit of a grain of salt, not that the air raid doesn't run. I think we you know, know in in 2023 that they do still run the ball, but there's going to be more passing than you'd see probably in other offenses. So, you know, as we've discussed previously, um, regardless of how this ends up, it's it's clear just from other quarterbacks that we've covered in this cycle that this was not the first or even second choice for North Carolina. They sort of waited on a few guys. It didn't go their way. And so now they're trying to, you know, make the best of what they have here, sort of in a, in a later point in the cycle, honestly, for quarterbacks, because quarterbacks commit so early. So while I'm not, I'm not wholly down on the pick with who was available. I do understand that, um, you know, I understand g- taking his commitment and sort of, you know, taking a flyer on a guy and, you know, sort of betting on your development to some degree. It, it It is not North Carolina's first pick and it's, it's, it's a concern at that quarterback position.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, you're, you're 100% right about that. Don't get it wrong. This is not the first guy that Carolina would take if they had any of their options available to them, but I mean, look, you missed on your top three quarterback options. You tried to extend an offer to James Reaser, um, who just did not seem to be be affected by that in any way. It looks like he's going to stay committed to Iowa. And so now you have to go down the line. And, you know, look, with, with this one, I I get why people are concerned for sure. But – you're talking about a guy that at the Elite 11 camp that they hosted down in Orlando at the start of April, he, I mean, was the most accurate quarterback there. A lot of people were very, very complimentary of what they saw from him in terms of just his leadership and drills and everything like that. So it seems like the skill set, the intangibles are there for him. This is going to be a crucial season for him coming up. He's really got to prove himself at the high school level that he was a guy that was just sitting behind someone that maybe fit the system a little bit better. Cause that's, that's the other part of this. That's the part that's the most concerning to me is that he was sitting behind a guy that is committed and getting ready to play at central Florida. And look, central Florida, really good um, group of five school. No, no question about it, but you would hope that at Carolina, you would be able to get a better quarterback than you are able to get at central Florida, especially with the success that Carolina has had the last few years with quarterbacks, Sam Howell, Drake May, you know, you would think that would, that would help you. Um, now look, the the other part of this is that you still got Connor Harrell in the system, you still have Tad Hudson in the system. So it's not like you're bringing in Merdinger and he's your guy moving forward. Um, you also you know, always have the transfer portal route to where if this does not work out and you do eventually need a quarterback, it is much easier to get another quarterback than it has been in the past. So I, I, think, I think it's a calculated risk you know, you talked about the air raid system. Look, Carolina, as far as w- from what we've heard from Chip Lindsey, and, you know, to me, I think the the key, keeping even once Phil Longo left or keeping the plan, I guess, because it wasn't official at that point, but promoting Lonnie Galloway to passing game coordinator makes me think that they're still going to keep some elements of – the Phil Longo system. And you know what? Why wouldn't they? It worked. Look at how much success Carolina had. So I think with him being a guy that comes from that system, um, his, his high school coach, who, by the way, had one of the greatest quotes I think I've ever seen in an article that, that 24 seven sports article that I was referencing where he called him hotter than fish grease this off season. Um, You know, he, he said in there, look, he knows how to run this system. He, he did a great job running it when he was in there. Um, and you know they, they they've talked. You know, multiple articles that I've read have talked about a quick release, which is something that you want to see. So I, hopefully, this is this is just a guy that was sort of waiting in the wings. Honestly, you're kind of hoping this is very similar to what Carolina saw um, in their you know when when they had Mitch Trubisky here. Um, and that he is able to sort of produce at a similar-ish level, that's something that I think Carolina fans could stomach. But, you know, it certainly is a risk. Um, But now, you know, Carolina, as, as I mentioned, has their quarterback in the class. It's now their 13th commitment in the class. And, look, let's transition into the conversation that most people are having based on this commitment and based on, Um, you know, just the the rest of the class in general. Carolina's got 13 commitments, which is one of the highest amounts in the 2024 cycle to this point. Um, You got to give some credit to the staff because they're locking guys up before they even get to the month of June. Nobody's taken official visits to campus and they've got 13 commitments already. Um, But the concern for a lot of people and rightfully so is that It's in large part due to the fact that they are not landing these blue chip prospects. Um, Most of the guys that Carolina has landed, I I would say almost half of this class that they've landed. At the time that they have landed these players, the guys have been unranked. Now, they were eventually ranked by these recruiting websites, but it took them a while. Um, and, And I think people are rightfully concerned about that. A couple of guys ranked outside of the top 1,000, and the highest-ranked player in this class is the only four-star player, and that's Davian Gauss, who was a a guy that received his star rating very, very early in his high school career as a true freshman. Now, I uh, I, I believe that he is probably going to keep that ranking as a four-star, um, this class, they are much more generous with the star rankings. I mean, they've got almost 450 prospects that are ranked as four-stars. It's somewhere in that range. Um, so I, I think, barring a drastic fall um, and a real struggle this season, which you know he's pretty much that, that entire offense at the high school that he plays at in Florida – I think he's probably going to be fine, but I don't know if any of the other guys that Carolina currently has committed to the class are going to become four-star prospects. Still some good players, but people are concerned about the level with recruiting. First, I think the first big question here, Zach, is how concerned are you about the guys that Carolina is bringing in in this class when you sort of compare it to some of the other classes that Mac Brown and his staff have brought in? Well, I think
1: one thing to consider here is how these past classes, or really a lot of these classes, have been built in terms of when certain players have committed. Generally, uh, higher-rated players um, are going to take their time Um, outside of quarterback, really, as we mentioned, but high-rated players are going to take their time and generally, and they're going to take their visits and, you know, probably make a decision a little bit later. Um, And we've seen that to some degree with a good deal of guys, you know, in North Carolina and Virginia. Um, I I think a lot of the concern comes from um, the ratings of the past couple classes. I mean, you had classes that were pushing for top 10, top 15 status. And, you know, the prior coaches didn't quite live up to that level in terms of their uh, yearly class ranking. Um, And then it seems like they're sort of sliding back down to what has been the uh, historical norm, which is about 25 to 35. If you ask me where they're going to end up, I'd say probably there if I had to guess in terms of this year. So the question to me is not as much, are they sliding? It's did they sort of, um, you know, over, Overshoot where they land historically, did they sort of up that and end up seeing sort of a you know a reduction to the mean? It, it's really hard to say. I think that there's a lot of factors involved here. Um, I, I think, like you mentioned, who they have committing and when they have them committing. Having 13 commits right now, that is a fair amount, um, and it's not like North Carolina regularly takes 25 plus. They're generally about you know a 20 to 23 sort of group. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, there's probably not that many more spots ideally that they're going to have to give out probably, um, you know, definitely some wide receivers. They're going to need one or two of those, Uh, maybe another running back, another tight end, maybe another offensive lineman, and then maybe, you know, one more defensive lineman, maybe another linebacker and another one or two DBs. So maybe seven or eight more spots in total that you have uh, at most. And, you know, how many of those guys realistically are going to be either, you know, four or five stars or, um, you know, or top 500 is sort of a number that we like to use right now. They have two that are ranked in the top 500. Maybe they get one of the guys they currently have you know, through ranking up states to get up there, maybe one or two, and then maybe they get, you know, two or three more to have about six or seven, which would be comparable with last year's class in terms of top five hundred players. So I I think they're sort of at a pretty steady pace in terms of that right now. Is it a cause for concern? I think that's somewhat difficult to say, just because I think there's there's a lot of questions around the the team at large and that sort of you know, reflects itself in recruiting. Um, NIL is a concern uh, on the football, and that's something that every team is sort of navigating, but it's one that, you know, is a, you know, it's a unique situation in North Carolina like it is everywhere else. And it's one that Mack Brown has been pretty open about with it having, You know, to some degree, depending on how other teams sort of uh, and other programs and those around those programs structure their NIL. I mean, there there are kids that Mac Brown said straight up, not naming names of those players, of course, but that he said, you know, they lost out on because of NIL. They might have come to North Carolina had NIL not been an impediment to them. So that's a factor. And that's at least in the short term going to continue to be a factor. Uh, You have, of course, the head coach himself. There's there's really not a clear indication of, you know, what what a timeline is there, because he is, um, you know, over the age of 70, one of two coaches that is over that age. So that's going to be a concern. And as he's mentioned, you know, that that's a major negative recruiting point. Is Mac Brown's age? Uh, that's one that other coaching staffs are mentioning, and you know, even uh, last season, last off season or the season before, there's sort of a, a a little bit of a whisper of maybe a retirement that obviously didn't come to fruition, but that's not going to go away. Um, so that's a factor that's going to play into it. Um, and then, of course, to keep it more focused, you know, on the offense and the quarterback position, there was a coordinator change this off season. So um, while as fans and people that cover the program, you look and say, OK, you've had Sam Howell come through the program, set records. You've had Drake May come through, set records. We'll continue to likely set those records here this upcoming season and very much projects to be you know, a, a top first round pick. Why are they having this issue with quarterbacks? Uh, well, I, I mean, you can look at, at very simply and you know this may be a little bit general, but you look at the fact that it's a different offensive coordinator. Like you mentioned, they they've sort of laid the groundwork of we don't really want to change the offense. We want to keep it about the same. We want to do a lot of the same stuff. But you know, until toe meets lever this fall, these recruits really don't know. They don't know what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. in terms of what the North Carolina offense is going to be under Chip Lindsay this fall and and how that's going to work. I mean, the the spring game really generally does not give you a ton unless there's some massive, you know, uh, strategy change. It's really hard to tell one way or the other, Uh, even if we think that they're going to be pretty good with the guys that they have. You don't know. Uh, One silver lining that I will mention that I think is going to factor into how North Carolina does this season, um, which will then affect recruiting and refit um, this particular kind of recruiting next off season is portal recruiting. I think where North Carolina is situated in college football as a whole, they are a team that uh, they do have, you know, academics can be a concern. They're high academic schools. So that can affect how guys transfer in with credits and whatnot. They got a pretty good, transfer class this offseason we've already seen some of those guys kind of come in and get those starting spots and get you know very good praise from the coaching staff so obviously you want to be as developmental as you can be but there are going to be cracks in the process there's going to be holes that you need to fill on your roster Um, and I do think that North Carolina is uniquely in in sort of that range where they can realistically you know, get guys in to be a team that that uses the portal very well, like I did like I think they did this past offseason. Um so to summarize, I, I do think it is somewhat of a concern. It seems like that they are not sustaining that sort of 10 to 15 range recruiting that we saw for a while. How realistic of an expectation was that? That's probably up to debate. So I think they're probably coming down to sort of what we would consider their historical norm in terms of recruiting between 25 and 35. Um, but I do think, as a silver lining, that the transfer portal could really be a factor for the Tar Heels moving forward into the future and one that they use to sort of build some consistency year to year, whether that be at the quarterback position or other positions.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's there's two points that I think for, from you – really stand out to me and I think are or a big reason why Carolina is, is having these struggles right now. And 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 look, I think you you have to classify it that way. It's not even really just the fact of the star ratings. The thing that's most concerning to me is the in-state recruiting where there's a legit Chance that Carolina does not land a single top ten recruit in the state. They've got one guy that you probably feel pretty good about in Malcolm Ziegler, the four star safety from Fuquay Varina. Other than that, I, I I don't really I don't know if Carolina feels that confident about anybody. They're in a lot of these races. You know, Ethan Calloway, the offensive tackle from Lake Norman, one that probably stands out. Um, Alex Taylor, the kid from Grimsley. um, You know, that's that's another guy that it feels like Carolina is is in the race for. But Carolina is far from the leader in those races. You know, they just missed uh, another guy in the class. I mean, I, I, I don't think this is really all that unexpected and Shannon Goodwin, the three-star wide receiver from Providence day high school. That's, that's now three guys from Providence day high school though, that Carolina's missed on um, that one. Not that shocking. Goodwin's dad played at Michigan. Um, you know, Brody Barnhart seems like Carolina had, had guys that they valued a little bit higher than him on their board at safety. The the concerning one, of course, is in, in a lot of people's minds is Jaden Davis, but that was a guy that Carolina didn't feel like was really in the hunt for. It feels like they got to start landing. The, the receiver position is where Carolina has to get the job done. That's a spot where Carolina has produced some really, really good players these past few years. Um, you know, th- this year, Two guys alone got drafted in, in into the NFL. They've had you know few other guys that have gone in these past few years. I mean, look, Daz Newsom, it didn't work out where he got drafted, and um, you know, I, I think that was just a bad scenario that he landed in as a sixth round pick. If he goes somewhere else, maybe has a chance to actually play a role and succeed. Um, but I mean, look, that they're you know. They also have Deami Brown. That's an area where Carolina has succeeded under Mack Brown and Lonnie Galloway. So they've got to land some of the big fish in the state there. Um, If they don't, that's that's where I think the concern level reaches a panic. Um, You know, I, I, I think at this point, you know, the other thing that you brought up that I think plays a huge role in this is NIL. And this is probably the most frustrating part in my mind with what's going on. Because to me, I feel like with NIL, it's a mindset thing. It's not a lack of funds. Look, I don't know. Clearly, I'm not the accountant for the Carolina NIL Collective. I know that's shocking to some people. But yes, I host a podcast. I work for a radio station i don't I don't do the books. um, but I'm look, I know we've seen you know Carolina in the past. We've seen the fan base step up and and bring in a lot of money. I find it very hard to believe that Carolina is not bringing in the money and i o wise to compete, maybe not, you know, with Georgia. Alabama, those types. But to compete with NC State, to compete with Pittsburgh, those types of schools, you're telling me they're not making enough NIL-wise to do that? I don't believe that for a second. So I feel like this is more of the mindset that Mack Brown is taking towards NIL, towards the transfer portal, I mean, look, man. We we've heard Mac Brown say over and over again, almost every time that he is in a press conference, Mac Brown is talking about how he despises NIL and the transfer portal. Um, he said that look, we we have recruits that have been lost because you know we want guys that want to play for the university. And look, I get that. I I I love that mindset, but to a certain extent, in the modern day. You have to be willing to compromise that at times. And especially for Mac Brown and this staff, when the thing that you've done the best to this point, since you got back on campus is recruit the on-field results. Eh, they're, you know, solid, not great. There's, there's been a lot that's been left on the table and I think that's that's where this staff has to realize. Look, this is this is your strength. You know, you need to develop the talent a lot better, and maybe that's that's where you call into question the the loyalty that Mac Brown has to certain coaches and everything like that. But you have to be getting the talent in here because as of right now, you still have a, a decent amount of your staff from the patents from when you were initially brought back in place that hasn't done a great job of developing four and five stars that are now going to be trying to develop less talented prospects. You, you got to start playing the game here. Mac Brown says, look, Carolina does things the right way. Well, look, here's the thing. What is the right way? There's if certain stuff isn't outlawed, then how's it wrong? Like, I, I hate to t- – like, I get what, what Matt Brown's wanting to do and saying, look, we're, we're trying to do it the way that it was intended to be done. But, look, there, there's nobody enforcing the stuff with NIM. So, you have to play the game because everybody else is. You're being left behind. And that's the thing that when you talk about the conversations about retirement, you know, in his first couple of years – when the transfer portal was, you know, still really in the early stages, when NIO wasn't in place yet, that that talk was really just talk. There wasn't really anything to back that up, other than the fact that people could just say, well, look at his age. Now, you're starting to see these comments come out, you know coaches are pointing to that, and basically they're telling them, look, He's a guy that is trying to live in the past and it's starting to feel like that. So that's the concern for me, you know, when it comes to what Carolina is doing on the recruiting trail. And and really I think it's more of the approach that Carolina is taking on the recruiting trail. I think they need to get more involved with the NIL. And I, I just, I wonder, and, and I, I mean, I don't know if you're with me on this, Zach. I, I wonder, you know, is is Mac is Mac really going to be willing to change the way that he recruits and 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 sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, get with the times?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, a- along those lines, you sort of have to ask, you know, are you willing to sort of adapt with the changes and do what needs to do. To get the results that you need, because this is a, you know, this is a results-oriented game. This is like anything, a results-oriented business. So, you know, talent acquisition—that's got to be number one on your list. Has been for the past couple years. It needs to continue to be. I, I do think there are at least some questions in terms of what resources they have, whether they use them or not, what resources that they have. Obviously, like you mentioned, they're not going to be at the level of uh, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, something along those lines. Um, I think one of the biggest things right now, just looking at – You know, where the top recruits specifically in North Carolina sit, uh, it's not as much the, you know, the Georgia's or Ohio states. I think that Tennessee is sort of making a bigger push now that they've had more success in the last year. I think South Carolina as well. Clemson, of course, is making a push. So I I think that it's not so much that they're losing some guys to Pitt or to NC state. Now, some of these recruitments, they might necessarily, but I, I think it's out of state schools that are, and out of conference schools that are really making a push and making things difficult there. But sort of to the main point that you mentioned, um, if there is, if there are resources and they are not being maximized in order to do what's best for the football team, then that needs to change or the people that are involved in the process has to change. And it's, Really, as plain as simple as that. That that may sound mm-hmm. harsh. I'm not necessarily calling for anyone's job, but you know, it's something that these coaches are going to have to look in the mirror and decide for themselves of how how do you want to proceed. I, and we're seeing this all over the country. There's plenty of coaches, not just in college football, but in, in numer- numerous collegiate sports that are sort of making their decisions on that. I mean, part of the reason why. Uh, Roy Williams and uh, Coach K are no longer in college basketball. At least, what a lot of people assume is is from these things. From not wanting to deal with, you know, NIL and the transfer portal. You see coaches constantly at the, you know, the college football level trying to get to the NFL. So, you know, it, it's something. There's not really anyone that I've heard that is in love with NIL and the transfer portal from the coaching level. But it, it's something that you either have to adapt to or get out of the way so that that's definitely going to be you know a question moving forward in in how they utilize that um I, but along those lines what I will mention is I I do think that they are willing to use it to keep players around I think that not that this was the only reason that Drake May is still in Chapel Hill going into his junior year but I mean we we know it's pretty you know clear as day that there were schools that were at least sort of putting out feelers either to his family or to an agent of seeing, you know, what it would take. I don't think he was leaving North Carolina regardless, but I know that there was also, you know, or, you know, we have some pretty good indications that NIL, you know, was at least involved in, in making sure of that. Uh, And obviously, you know, we have a lot of guys, a lot of established upperclassmen on campus that have sort of, you know, spread the word on the collective and then, you know, there are guys that came into the transfer portal that I'm sure had arrangements that were made. So I think they have options here. Now, it's going to depend on how you adapt that to your high school recruiting. You still have to recruit in high school and, you know, get the talent there. And one last thing to mention that you mentioned, you know, at the at the front end here, um, the main thing that they've done thus far has been recruiting. It's been iffy in terms of on-field results. Now, obviously, they've had good players. They've had good units, specifically their offenses under Phil Longo. But there are questions of development. I would say outside of, you know, quarterback and offensive skill players, almost every other position has question marks. You've had a few successes here and there. Uh, Let's say, you know, a Chaz Surratt is obviously a good player, but, you know, basically every defensive unit and the offensive line has been a question mark at this point in terms of how those are developed. Team mentality has been a question mark. Toughness has been the question mark. Getting guys, you know, ready to play in the NFL outside of quarterback and offensive skill has been a question mark. So those are things that I think you've got to look at, you know, and really sort of hammer down and the coaching staff mentioned that in spring a lot of how they're looking to sort of clarify a lot of that but you know you can get all the talent in the world but if you're not developing it raw talent can only take you so far and and, you know you'll hear that from the lowest fcf school all the way up to the national champion they're going to tell you the same thing is that raw talent can only do so much for you it gives you a floor Uh, And then your development determines your ceiling. So I I think that's probably the bigger question at this point, regardless of how the recruiting classes, you know, shape out is what, what is the culture of this program? What is the identity? What are they doing to um, build a cohesive unit? What are they doing to, you know, be successful in every given play as opposed to a win loss record? Those are the questions that I have right now. And, you know, nil recruiting is a question but really sort of where this program is going what is the plan over the next year over the next two to three years i think that that's
0: probably a bigger question
1: in my mind at this point
0: yeah and you know i I gotta tell you i think unfortunately you know for the guys that are coming in this this class that they're bringing in probably is going to ultimately determine what the legacy of Mac Brown's second stint in Chapel Hill is going to be whether he's on campus or he is you know retired whatever um this this is going to be the class that is going to determine how we think of his time in Chapel Hill since you know when he came back that i i was thinking about that the other day and i put that in the article writing about murdinger and i think it, he he is a great example of that they are taking a, a a chance on a lot of these guys and you know look it's nothing against these kids there are going to be some talented guys that come out of this but this could also be a class that carolina brings in and much like Larry Fedora's final class that he brought in, doesn't really produce a lot of guys. And now in the age of the transfer portal, I mean, this could be one of those classes where if Carolina really does start to struggle the way that some people think they could, because the level of recruiting is dipping, this could be a class that the majority of these guys don't even stay at Carolina for, the, the majority of their career. Um, so that's, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. This is an extremely important class that Carolina is bringing in because, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, talent can only go so far. But again, it's been proven that if you're going to be a contender, which is what Carolina wants to be under Mac Brown. Look, when Mac first came back, the goal that a lot of people set on the table not him but that a lot of people had for bringing him back was hey make the job better than it was well as of right now i would say that's true but he's on the precipice of potentially falling off and hope you know hopefully they avoid this but you know look the losing streak at the end of this past season I brought this up a few times that I think it could, if he's not careful, it could be reminiscent of what we saw from the team back in 2016. And you have to avoid 2017, 2018 from happening again. The recruiting, the way it is, probably not helping those concerns. But the thing is, is that the goal of trying to just make this a better job than it was when he took over that kind of went out the window with the success that they had the first two years here and the goals that Mac Brown started to state the success that the team had early on this season. And really the main thing is the quarterbacks that you've had on campus. You've had two generational quarterbacks. You're a Hall of Fame head coach. People expect that combination to work out really even better than it has so far. But you have to start building off of this. Like this year, this coming season, you've got to be able to build off of that. And that's why the fact that the recruiting is going in the direction that it is off of a nine-win season, second time that carolina has won nine games in a season since mac brown left the first time in 1997 um and yet that th- this is where we're at that's what i think has people concerned and really just scratching their head looking for answers and i think that's ultimately you know if if carolina doesn't start landing some of these blue chip guys and as you mentioned, we kind of look at it as as, as top five hundred guys. But I mean, to be honest with you, moving forward, I mean, Carolina they they've got to get at least in my mind three, maybe four more four stars in this class for you to start feeling confident. And you would hope that two, three of those guys are from in state because. If not, then it really starts to feel like what we saw from Larry Fedora. Going out of the state to Florida, to Georgia, and look, very talented prospects. But the first thing that Mac Brown stated he wanted to do when he came back to Carolina was to take care of the home state. And for his first few years here, he did that on the recruiting trail. On the field, yeah. I mean, you know, he he, again, first couple of years did a pretty good job with that. The last couple hasn't been great. So you've got you have to adjust the mindset. You're bringing in guys that you know recruited heavily in the state of Florida and Georgia. Charlton Warren. You got Jason Jones, who's been you know, through through multiple jobs, including in the state of Florida, Chip Lindsey, but you need to make sure that the focus is in-state, because if you lose the home state, it's going to be hard to start to swing things back in the right direction. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast, guys. Uh, make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Read a little bit more about Michael Merdinger. Uh, you know, we we've you know been talking about some of our concerns and everything here on this edition of the podcast. Uh, you know, we did talk a little bit about the skill set that he has, but there is an article up there that goes a little bit more in depth into, you know, this the spring that he has had, why he is a guy that is on the rise a little bit, um, you know, but also talks about, you know, why this is a little bit of a risk. That's up there on the website for you guys to check out. Um, And then we are going to have another article that'll be up here uh, soon, which will take a look at the guys that we think you should keep an eye on to possibly be the next commitment in this class uh, for the Tar Heels. There's three names that uh, we're going to have you guys keep an eye on, so make sure uh, that you are watching out for that. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, uh, these last, you know, couple of weeks, we we've pretty much been on watch for something big happening. We've been told multiple times that this is going to finally be the day that something is actually going to happen. Well, it seems like now there is a little bit more steam picking up uh, towards a storyline that we've talked about a lot here over this off season, actually happening. So make sure that you keep an eye on the website for uh, that, that should be, you know, coming out here. It feels like sooner rather than later, but uh, any of the latest news around the basketball program, we will have you covered uh, with all of that. Um, Also make sure that you guys are checking out the podcasts, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, not only this podcast, but also uh, the four corners podcast. Uh, You could check it out wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those spots are really the best places to find them uh, so that you can subscribe. But wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure that you do subscribe and give us a uh, rating and review. We would really appreciate that. Um, and, you know, of course, we have moved our hosting site. We are now on uh, Omni. We tweet those out. Um, every time that we put up an edition of the podcast, so make sure that you guys are uh, checking all of that out. Again, uh, you can check it out wherever you listen to your podcast. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Zach for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tori.